Welcome. If you don't know who I am, I'm Andy. Um, I'm one of the elders here at Christ First Watfords. I'm kind of somewhere between excited and um, concerned about the weight of what I've got to bring today. So I'm really excited it's fitted in so much with the prophetic um, this morning, the tongue that was brought, where I feel God is trying to speak to us as a church. So I feel the excitement of that as well as the kind of weight of that. I've kind of called this risk of shock, um, probably become apparent as I go through it. Let me say from the off that it is going to be exciting um, because it's the second introduction to a part of Ephesians, which is the book we're in as a church. We're in Ephesians and we're getting towards the end, which is active, but it's really, really critical. And um, if this is working, this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones um, wrote in his book. By the way, before you read that, let me just give you an idea of what it's like being a uh, preaching sometimes. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones's books on 10 verses alone. This one here is just three verses, not chapters, three verses of this section of scripture. He has such a, a weight for it that he wrote that much on three verses and then wrote again on the 10, including these three again. 700 pages on 10 verses. And what he says at the beginning of his book, written in 1977, which in God's economy is a second ago, but written then, but so true of now, is this. There is nothing more urgently important for all who claim to be Christian than to grasp and to understand this particular section of Scripture. So much he wrote two books on it, just ten verses. So he's talking about Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. If you are a churchgoer, you've been around church, you'll know this is the the armour of God, is the section this is about. Uh, so 736 pages. Terry Virgo at Brighton, uh, if you want to look up a fantastic preach on this, go and find Terry Virgo, Together on a Mission, Brighton, preached for about three and a half hours on this in three sittings on just these ten verses. And it was by nowhere near enough. It was one of those ones where you're thinking, I'll stay here all week, Terry, if you will, and just keep going. Because there was so much he was, you could tell he was just skipping over stuff to try and get key points out of ten verses in three and a half hours. So it's a, it's a wait when you preach on this one. You've got that to work with, people talking about this for years. But I've been praying, what God, what are you saying to us right now in this church? What is What is there that we cannot just read by reading it? So I think Ephesians is a book, is a letter, of you know the six chapters we're up to the sixth one as a letter um, is has three key themes to it for me um, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord is kind of the front end theme the first three verses the second half then moves into how we respond to it how we live our lives as a witness to this new Lord not this. Jesus, that we might, he's a new Lord to us. Those that he's talking about have declared Jesus Christ is Lord of their lives. And in this last section, this 6, 10 to 20, the bit that Lloyd-Jones is referring to, it talks about the battle that lies ahead till Jesus comes again and claims victory. So the gift, the response, and then, oh, by the way, just before we go, there's a battle coming. And I want to start by laying down a challenge. I will do my best to stick to about 35 minutes. You just need to stay awake. Stay with me. Don't drift off. I think this is important. It's urgently important, as Lloyd-Jones put it. So I'll ask you of that view today, and I'll do my best to stick to 35. I've failed most times, just to warn you, if you've not been around here, but I will do my best. 
So let me initiate it by saying I'm actually going to be speaking off the back of what Aaron brought last week. We're actually doing the same thing. We're doing two passes at the high-level overview of this section of Scripture. So you need to listen to Aaron's excellent preach last week as well and put them both together. I will steal one quote from uh, what Aaron brought, which was, again, Terry Virgo, who's the guy who started this entire church movement that we're part of, New Frontiers, is an amazing, lovely father figure with the, with the authority you want from a father figure, Yeah. He's an incredible guy to sort of listen to because of just how he's lived his life and the fact that this, this guy just started a little thing with a few people and now it's hundreds of churches across the world and an amazing movement. And he said, the Christian life is not like a battle, it is a battle. The Christian life is not like a battle, it is a battle. So this is like a 35-minute battle briefing I'm trying to give you here. That's why I want your attention. I want it every, way, every time I preach, but this time I'm making a big point of it. As if your life depended upon it. So ignore me, ignore Aaron, ignore Lloyd-Jones, ignore Virgo, ignore the Apostle Paul, kind of at your peril, if you're someone who follows Christ. What I try to do when I preach, I think this is really important for us as Christians in today's society. With so much information being blurted all over uh, social media and the internet and everything else, and there's so much information... We have to think about what questions people are actually asking and ask them of ourselves. Can I answer that question? Jimmy once told me one of the best things about theology is it kind of deconstructs what you think and asks you why you think that way and you have to kind of build it back up again. I think that's a powerful message for us to ask questions. So today I've got three why questions. I think we don't often ask enough why questions. I've got three why questions to take you through this section. Why is this so important? Why is there a battle at all? And why do I need this particular armour? So we jump into this scripture. It is so much to it. I'll read it out. You will become distracted by lots of things within it. And I'm going to try and do it at a high level. But I want to read the whole thing. So let me just try and read it. I think it's... Let me just see if I've got it up there for you. If not, I'm just going to read it out for you. Yeah, there it is. All right. So, finally... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Again, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's why there's 700 pages written about that. That is dense. And it has so much to it. And the bad news is, 
We are not going to get into the detail today. We are going to carry on doing this after Easter. We think it's important. We are going to go through the armour in detail. But today I want to ask those three questions that I had. So come back after Easter and we'll keep going through it. So my first one is this one, which I think means my things out of sequence. It's this one. Why is it important? Well, the clue's in the first word, if it's on the screen. Finally. 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 It's the end of what Paul's been saying for quite a, a, quite a lengthy letter. Right, so, finally, and it's not like finally as in stop, it's finally as in right, so from this point forward. That's how it's better interpreted. So from this point forward, be strong in the Lord. And what happens is Paul just laid out in the previous section this amazing gospel message that we have been saved by faith. Then he said, live a life like this. And we're thinking, well, okay, this is generally kind of very encouraging and then a little bit challenging, but still encouraging. Right, but from this point forward, let me just make something really clear. Making a certain we know we've received our faith through Jesus is great. He talks about the mystery of the gospel that has been revealed. He talks about it earlier. He talks about it now to reveal the mystery of the gospel. That we were once dead in our sins and we heard this word of truth and we believed, and now we're guaranteed of our inheritance. That word gets used a lot, our inheritance. And it's vital that we know we were once dead in our sins, subject to God's wrath, and yet we were saved by faith in Jesus, but saved for inheritance. Words that we just kind of skim past and don't think a lot about, oh yeah, get that, but it's actually inheritance, and it's important sometimes to think about that. In case it's escaped your attention, as it sometimes has mine. Salvation is an inheritance of the future. It is a hope assured in the future. It's one we're certain of, but it's out there in the future. This means we're living in... Expression gets sometimes used, we're living in the now, but the not yet. The now, I know I'm saved. I know I will inherit this one day, heaven, this place of no pain and suffering. But right now, I'm here. Living here in the now, knowing it, but the not yet. I'm saved, I'm free from the eternal consequences of my sin. If you're not a Christian, you're still subject to the eternal consequences of your sin when you stand before God on the day of judgment, which isn't an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Judgment day is real. There will be a day of judgment. It's in the Bible. You've got to settle your debt. For those who believe in Jesus, metaphorically, he, when you get to that moment, and don't don't tell anyone this is a genuine picture, right? You're standing at the desk and they say, here's your debt, pay it. And Jesus comes in and says, it's one of mine, I paid it. I paid it, it can go. Others come in and say, right, what I basically did in my life was this, that, and it, no. What about all these other things you did? No, well, can, can I trade them off against the good stuff? No, you've got to pay the debt. Without Jesus to stand in and say, I've got him, you're going to stand there trying to explain away why you didn't repent of your sins and come to Christ. And it's tough. It's a tough thing to take on. It's great news for us as Christians, but we're stuck between the now, this reality, and the then. And Paul's then pointing out, oh, by the way, and what you're walking into is schemes of the devil. What's that all about? I thought church was supposed to be kind of a happy place for smiley people. If you become a Christian, isn't it supposed to be like Dibley? But it's not like Dibley, is it? We're living with the devil, with evil schemes. The sun never always shines in Dibley. It never seems to rain. Why can't I go there? It's not in my notes. I want to warn you <laughs> against telling anyone 
And I've been a pastor at the other end of this difficulty, telling anyone that becoming a Christian means it's going to be peachy. That the coming, that coming to Christ means that there's no more pain and no more suffering right now. It will all stop. Come to Jesus, it'll all be a mate. You will be healed of everything, and there'll be no pain and no suffering. There is healing, trust me, we'll be talking about that later. But total healing there, glimpses of healing here, to tell us what's promised, which is full healing in heaven. To tell people there's no pain and suffering in this life is a falsehood. You're trying to pull your inheritance forward. You're trying to do that, was it, like an equity release on your mortgage? Let me just pull some of it forward. And you're setting people up for a real shock. And I've had to pastor those shocks. And it's tough when someone says, it's going terrible. And they told me at that meeting when 400 of us put our hands up, it was all going to be amazing. And it's gone the other way. What's going on? Martin Lloyd-Jones again. You can imagine out of this book, I've got quite a few quotes. Let me just see if I can spin over to it. He says this. It is one of the hallmarks of a true saint. We are saints that are saved by Jesus. A true saint that he never gives the impression that the Christian life is an easy one. Never! The man who gives the impression that it is easy has confused something else with Christianity. The greatest saints have always testified to the fierceness of the battle. Heaven is great. I mean, it is amazing. I might talk about it a little bit more later. This life is not it. I don't know if, I imagine that hasn't escaped you, even on a sunny day. But when we're in heaven, we're going to look back on this life and see it very, very differently. Mother Teresa said this, In light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth, meaning there is suffering on earth, and she experienced it firsthand, a life full of the most atrocious tortures on earth, looking back, will seem to be no more serious than a one night in an inconvenient hotel. When we get there, we'll look back at this and go, that was just like a moment of difficulty in the light of an eternity with God in glory. So what Paul's saying is heaven is your gospel inheritance. That's what your gospel tells you. You've inherited that and it's great news. But in the meantime, get ready for a battle. Before we go there, I want to go into the battle soon, but I want to just pause for a minute and go with this line. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Listen hard, because what Paul's doing is setting you up, because he knows what he's about to say. It's going to create some fear. And like, hang on, that's really heavy, Paul. And it's like the end of his letter too. He's saying, just before I do that, let me just say something. Be strong in not your own might, but his might. As you go into what I'm about to tell you, don't panic. You've got God on your side. He knows what he's saying, Paul. It's like a pre-match talk like no other. Because we need to go into the battle full of confidence, not fear. Fear cripples us. When Paul says this, he knows what he's saying. We need to know where our strength is actually going to come from. So he's saying, don't be strong in your own strength. Know when you go into this, you've got God's strength. You've got God with you. Go in confident. The one who creates all things and flings stars into space. Who knows if he literally did that? I don't know. But there are stars. I look at the stars and go, oh my word, what a God. Especially when the sun's shining. Don't you look at the blue sky sometimes and go, what a God. He's with you in the battle. He's with you in the battle. So Paul is saying, put on the armour and know who's on your side when you go in. Go in, armoured up, 
confident you have the strength of God with you. Be confident no matter what happens now, you're on the winning side with the best captain. We win. It's like a pre-match talk when you're going to play Millwall, if you remember old football, who, would, who were going to kick lumps out of you when you got on the pitch. That was the kind of reputation. But the difference is when you go into this battle thinking it's going to, they're going to kick lumps out of me, it's like, but guess what? You definitely win the game. You've got the best captain and you're going to win. They're going to do everything they can to stop it, but you are, they'll, they'll put you in hospital if they can. Hospital pass. You know, they'll take you down if they can. I'm sorry if you're a Millwall fan. Not many people are, frankly, but they had a bit of a reputation. Yeah, you're like, and I, I used to play like, uh, like pub football, but, but for my work thing. And you, there were teams around you like, you go and play them, double shin pads, book an early appointment into the casualty for a few of your players. They're going to hack you to pieces. But the difference here is that no matter what you do, my captain tells me we win, and he's definitely correct. He's never wrong. So you go, with the, you go into the game, into the battle, thinking, yeah, go on then. I'm kind of ready for this kick, but you're going to lose in the end. So we're in the middle of Jesus coming to bring freedom, to bring freedom from sin. That's the first time on the cross he does that. And we're in this period where before Jesus comes back, and while that's going on, there is this battle raging. We re- had it read out this morning and spoken out. We are in between Jesus coming to take away the sin of man so that all that believe in him will be set free, and we're, we're waiting for him to come back and just call time on the whole thing, and then we get to inherit heaven. Jesus will declare, time is up, judgment day, enough is enough, I'm ready now. So the battle is not endless, it will end. The end comes when criteria are met to make it very business-like. When certain things have happened, and Peter warns us when he speaks in, the, in Scripture, he says, it's soon, the day, of, the day of judgment is soon, the day of Christ is soon, but don't, don't think soon on your clock, think soon on God's clock. Paul says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. This is important. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The desire of God is that everyone gets saved. That's his desire. And he's creating enough time to try and see that if he can get that done. That's the objective. Jesus is giving mankind time to repent. He's patient. But when he sees enough is enough, mankind has heard the gospel, given sufficient opportunity to repent and come to him in order to be set free from their sin, then he will return. We don't know when. Anything you read online that says we've worked it out, rubbish. Because it says in the Bible, Jesus doesn't know when. How on earth does someone in Massachusetts in the internet know when it's coming, when Jesus doesn't know? No one knows when he will come again. In this time in between him coming, first and second advent, we call it sometimes around Christmas, the second times he comes, Paul says we're in a battle. From this point forward, you are in a battle. It's not against people, it's against a formidable foe. Do not underestimate who Satan is. I don't want to give him too much glory, but, but sometimes we really underestimate him. Like, yeah, I'll kick Satan into touch. Really. A formidable foe. He's evil, powerful, cosmic, 
Cosmic forces, not cosmic, cosmic forces, cunning, devious, wily. Which leads me to my next question. And the one that actually is not that why is there some, why is there a battle? Why is there a battle? What's going on? What's the point of this battle? As I said, as Christians, I think sometimes we just don't ask pretty beefy questions like this one. This one, to me, does not have an answer which is obvious or consistently spoken about. It depends on who you ask. And maybe at the end of this, you're thinking, Andy, you must be some kind of a pillar, because I just worked out all along. It's just you. And that's fine. Enjoy me in my ignorance. But I struggle to answer this question without really going to the Word and studying quite hard. I asked someone yesterday, actually, and that person, she's no fool, and I said to her, I said, I'm preaching on this tomorrow with this question, and she said, I don't actually know the answer to that question. Tell me more. If someone asked me that, I wouldn't have an answer. I think I just mumbled some stuff about, well, you know, it's a, it's a cosmic battle, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of fighting going on. And they'd be thinking, picture be, people are picturing Transformers in their head or some kind of movie. They'll picture that because we're not able to kind of articulate it sometimes. And the other reason I thought hard about this was I was prompted by someone telling me about a friend or a work colleague, actually, they were speaking to, who said something like this, and I'm summarizing, heaven is boring. Hell looks like a party. I want to go, th- I'm going to go there. With all seriousness, I think I'm going to go there. Kind of, it does all the things that I like doing. What they'd imagined is that heaven is like clouds and harps and, and apparently eating Philadelphia lights. That's what they've got in their heads. And that, frankly, I, I don't mind Philadelphia, but if that's all we've got to eat, it looks boring. If that's what, what we've conjured up in our mind heaven is like, I don't even like harps. As you might be able to tell. Play the drums. What's that got to do with a harp? So, eternity of harp music. It's like getting stuck in a lift. It's going to be horrendous. That's boring. And that's what people sometimes have in their head about heaven. It's like white, no colour, and like that. Obviously, without the cheese, that's just the thing. The trouble is also, they've got this picture of hell, that it's like some backstage pass to a rave. And they've got this idea that it's sort of drug-induced, debauchery, highly sexual, cavorting. And Satan's on the decks. Satan's like orchestrating everything. He's like ruling this, this pie that's going on and Satan's in charge. And so in their mind, it's like, well, all right, so heaven's not that good and hell ain't that bad. And with both these distorted views of what heaven's like and what hell's like, Christians are afraid to talk about hell, and, and uh, funnily enough, Jesus certainly wasn't. So why are we struggling so much? Hell's all right. Heaven's uh, hell's not that bad. Heaven's not that good. I can understand why you'd end up in that view if that viewpoint was true. I could sympathise with your argument. I'm just going to party on here because down there is just like this long-term rave of some description. Heaven is a place not of clouds and harps. It is a place where God is present and with us. We get to be with God again. And it's so glorious. The reason that the Philadelphia stuff is all wrong is because it says, and all, it's just beyond human imagination. We can't conceive how good it is, so we just kind of do clouds. Because we looked up once and thought, well, that's heaven, because we use that term. So we think it's just on top of clouds. Because we can't 
conceive. It's beyond human imagination. It's a place where God is and all pain and suffering ceases. How about being free of all anxiety? Free of tears. It says tears will cease. Worry and fear. What it looks like, literally, I don't know. Tells us it's impossible to conceive. Sometimes we really, really try. I just know it's a place free from suffering where the light in it is the glory of God. Gold seems to feature, glass seems to feature in some little descriptions, but we don't know what it's like physically. But what we do know is it's a place free of all anxiety, pain and suffering. How good is that? Now, hell is not a seedy rave. Hell is hell. Hell is hell. We get a little bit more insight here because there are descriptors of telling you what that's like. Scripture tells us it's a place of darkness, describes it as a place of eternal fire, burning sulfur, everlasting destruction, punishment, separation, death, wailing and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound like a rave I want to go to. There's no mention of what it's like in terms of the sounds. It's just that this is a place of destruction. It's where you go when your sin catches up with you and without Jesus you have no way to clear your debt. Who wants to go there? You know, hell's not bad, I might want to go. You do not want to go there, do you? No one wants to go there. And this is important to know, neither does Satan. He does not want to go there. The picture that he's in charge and this is his domain, is completely false. It's a cultural myth that somehow has been perpetuated. You may be thinking, why so much on hell? I don't really care what Satan does or what he gets. The reason is, this is the reason for this battle. Briefly, I'm going to look at Revelation 20.10. says this, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown down into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever. Satan is not in charge of hell. He doesn't want to go there. He's not on the rocks playing a fiddle to country music. He's not on there, diddly diddly dee, and everyone's. He's not there. He's in a lake of fire being tortured. For what he did, Satan is not the ruler of hell. Jesus Christ is the ruler of all things including hell. He's the one that casts Satan down. In this big why question that maybe a few of us took the trouble to figure out, I have to confess I didn't do enough. Why we're in the battle against authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of the evil one in heavenly places. Why? Do we know why? Why are we involved and why are we under attack? Why is it going on? Can Satan not read? It's in the Bible. He can read of his fate. Of course he can read. The reason Satan is fighting is to delay going there. He doesn't want to go there. It's like me saying, outside that door, behind that curtain, is eternal fire. And you have to go at some point. 
You're going to do everything you can to stop going out of that door. You're going to delay as long as you possibly can. Hold it off. I don't want to go there. If I have to go, I don't want to go there now. I don't want to go there tomorrow. I don't want to go there. As long as I can delay that, I will delay it. I will slow that down because I don't want to go there. Satan is trying to delay his grim end. So why attack us? Why is Paul making such a thing? And why is Lloyd-Jones saying it's critically important to know about this? What's it got to do with me and what's it got to do with you? Can't they fight it out for themselves? The thing is, we're supposed to be the ones that carry the gospel. We're supposed to be the ones that once that's sufficiently shared, will bring the end. Once sufficiently reached mankind, his end happens. Satan's. So, we bring about his demise. Because Jesus Christ has said, the Bible has said, when I've given enough time for everyone to hear, and how do they hear? Through me and you telling them about it. Through us sharing our lives. So we're part of the end for the enemy. We're part, that's why we're called this army. We're about the end of his scheme. So if we are to respond to Jesus' command, and what was Jesus' command? To go and make disciples of all nations. Not to go to church. Although that's part of it, because this is where we come to look at stuff like this. But to go and make disciples of all nations. So we're bringing forward, we're part of his plan to bring the end. And Satan wants us delayed. Why is there a battle? Because it brings the end to his time of power and it throws him down into hell where he doesn't want to go for his eternal torment. Heaven is really good. Hell is really bad. Satan wants to slow us down as much as possible. So that brings me to the last question. Why this armour? It says, therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Stand, stand, stand. Stand with stand, stand. We sung the stand. We said a lot about standing this morning. Maybe by now it's somewhat obvious. You think, well, if I'm in a battle, I want to have some armour on, I guess. In the weeks to come, we're going to go through the details of that. We're going to talk to you about what this armour is made up of. As Aaron pointed out so clearly last week, the armour is so that we can stand. Three times it says stand. When trials come as they do, as I said before, the Christian life is not free from trial and issues, but standing firm is powerful when everything else is indicating you shouldn't. Lloyd-Jones, again in his book, says about how powerful it is when we stand as Christians, when we stand, and the world sees when everything seems chaotic. Here's the thing to just mention as an aside. It came to me this morning. I was wondering if I would bring it, but I will. Don't confuse the world's issues with this battle. That's a different battle. Stuff going on around the world with Trump and everything else and Syria, that's a different battle to this one. This is a battle against the Christian. This is the spiritual battle. That's a literal physical battle. It may have spiritual elements, but that's a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. And in the battle against you and me, what Lloyd-Jones points out so powerfully is this. When people see someone who seems calm and steadfast, someone who is not utterly bewildered at a time like this, a time of testing for them, for them, because remember, we're in the context of the Christian life here. Someone who seems to have an insight into it all, and who can see beyond it all. They look and say, what is this? What is this person's secret? And you become evangelists just by standing. Causing them to inquire after God. 
In case you're thinking, hmm, standing doesn't sound much like battling and wrestling to me. On the cross, did Jesus fight? On the cross, in human eyes, Jesus appears weak, fallen. And there's a paradox in all of that. If you meditate on the cross, you ask, why is Jesus not calling down a horde of angels to just get him off that cross and wipe these people out? What's, why is he not doing that? Even that is a, a, an accusation made him. Jesus does not retaliate in that way, but takes on extreme suffering, not because he is weak, because he is so incredibly strong. We need to see it. He's demonstrating he can take this for a greater good. That all sinners will be set free. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take this and in my not fighting back, I will be unbelievably strong. So strong that the entire world cannot deny that guy, whether I believe he's the son of God or not, is unbelievable. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Who would do that on the pain of a cross? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Rather than bring down a horde smite them out no that's not how he responds we too can witness in how we stand for jesus in faith in times of trial but that's not as easy as it sounds as you can imagine that is hard to do so the purpose of the armor is to stand but what's so unique about this armor why do i need it well it's unique because it's supernatural armor in a supernatural battle Paul's likely, he's likely potentially tethered at the time he's writing to a Roman guard. And theory is he's looking at the guard, theory, not proven, just to be clear, looking at the uniform and translating it into things that we need. He's got that for a physical battle. We need those things for a spiritual battle. And then he writes, because he describes the armor of a Roman soldier, essentially, but he turns it into spiritual and not human. So he says, not in the flesh, Not a flesh and blood battle, but a battle against this heavenly force. Human armour will not work in this battle. Now, human armour in this case is things like, chin up, old chap, never mind. Things will be alright. Tomorrow's another day. Love is all you need. Even Jesus loves you, you know. Just words spoken out with no real depth of understanding. That's how human kind of attempt to deal with the difficulties of life. Human armour is this shallow belief that we can survive in a battle in our own strength. So if we bring human stuff into a spiritual battle, it's useless. Chin up, old chap. Never mind. Sorry about your bank account. Sorry about that issue. But, you know, chin up, it'll be all right. That's not going to work in this type of a battle. Stiff upper lip. It's a fierce battle. requires spiritual awareness and spiritual armour. And thank the Lord he gave it to us. This spiritual armour only works for people of the Spirit. It's of no use, makes no sense to a non-Christian. It's useless. It doesn't work. It's uniquely ours because we are the gospel carriers and he's given this armour to protect the gospel that's in us. The gospel isn't in you. You don't need it. It won't mean anything to you. I don't know if you know the film District 9. Anyone know the film District 9? Great movie. Really good. A bit violent in a way. Strange movie. If you're trying to explain it to people, it makes no sense. But aliens essentially are trapped on Earth and it's like a story of apartheid and they get treated appallingly badly. One of the things they want to get hands on is their weapons, but their weapons won't work because a human picks it up and it won't fire. So the movie has a subtext of how do we get the weaponry from these aliens, 
And they're not pretty aliens, they're gruesome creatures. And figure out how can we use it. Because every time we pick it up, it's like amazing and it doesn't work in a human hand. And I won't ruin the film for you, but the story has a subplot of how do we get these weapons to work in the hands they weren't designed for. These weapons, this armour, is for those that believe in Christ in the Spirit and are gospel carriers. And I'm going to focus on two of them just briefly. And I'm going to give us a clear warning. Like I said, we're not going to get into the details, so I'm going to do a brief covering of this one. Truth. The truth of who Jesus Christ is, is part of your armour. What he's done. To those that don't believe in him, that's just foolishness. It's not true. So truth won't work. The belt of truth will not work. Truth holds everything together, like a belt. That's why it's described as the belt of truth. It stops the Roman soldier tripping over. Without the belt, everything, their tunics fall down and they trip up. So he says, get the belt. It sometimes says, gird it. Like, get everything up and belt it together with truth. The truth being, Jesus Christ is the saviour of the world. Without it, the Christian life will fall apart because Jesus will not be enough if you can't hold on to that fundamental truth, that he is the saviour of the world and the saviour of you and me. It's the first thing he mentions because it's truth that actually sets us free. So no truth, no freedom. The second thing I want to mention and probably spend a little bit more time on as we close out is faith. Faith in the armour of God is a shield. It is faith that God, everything that God said, will be accomplishment. It is faith in Jesus Christ, that he is in control and he will come again. It is faith that he will build his church. It is faith for every promise that he has spoken over Watford. It is faith for the promises he has spoken over Hemel. It is faith for what he's spoken over me. It is faith for what he said about my children. It is faith for what he said about your family. It is faith for every single one of you in this church to grow in maturity. If I don't have faith for that, what am I doing here? I have faith for these promises of God. And when we lose faith, we lose the hope. What have you lost faith for, brothers and sisters? What have you lost faith for? What have you lost faith in? Because it hasn't happened yet. Because I've watched many things. People go down and people sometimes, and most gloriously, come back up again and thinking, you got through that valley by your faith that God would fulfill the promises he spoke over you and over the church as a whole. The Roman shield is an important thing. We'll talk in a minute about prayer as kind of one of the things we can do over the shield, but the shield is important for us. And know what the Roman shield was like. The Roman shield was made of two pieces of wood glued together. It's square. If you see those pictures of the armour of God, if you happen to look at this stuff online, and you see like the round Captain America kind of type of shield, that's not the shield. If you see the one that looks like a shield, like, you know, like this, that's not the shield either. The shield Paul is describing is the battle shield of a Roman soldier, which is the, the kind of oblong one that's covered in leather. So it's two pieces of wood glued together, covered in leather, and importantly missed by some, I'm sure many of you do know this, soaked in water. It's soaking wet. Imagine how heavy this thing is, by the way. Two bits of wood, leather, soaked in water. That was done because Roman enemies would indeed fire these fiery arrows. It was a literal thing he was describing that happens in, in physical warfare that he's now describing in a supernatural warfare situation. They would dip, these arrows were dipped in oil, set alight, and then fired. And if these hit you, they 
inflicted incredible pain, as you can imagine. Not just the puncture of the arrow, but the fact that it's on fire and it's covered in oil. It's going to burn you up. Thing is, if they hit a dry shield, a leather shield dry, that shield will catch fire. So they soaked it so it would actually extinguish a fiery arrow. It would extinguish and put it out. Faith in Jesus, this shield of faith, faith in who he is and in what he has promised is the shield against the fiery arrows of the enemy, not so that they're stopped, but they are extinguished. Fiery arrows to me often come in the form of lies about you and me, whispers in the ear, and then some reinforcement as if it starts all to kind of work. Now that lie is perpetuated in me with a purpose, and I'll come back to it in a minute. The lies of a wily enemy. Wily Emily, that would be terrible. Wily enemy. These lies. It says in Scripture sometimes Satan is like a roaring lion, sometimes, but most of the time he's described as a serpent, crafty. He's merciless. It's not in his nature to show mercy in your times of difficulty. He shoots directly at the weakest point, the good old Achilles heel. If you know the story of Achilles, it was a Greek mythology. He was, mythology by the way, so don't, again, we're not preaching this one. Uh, Achilles is held by his heel by his mother, I think, and dipped into the lake Styx, I think it is, which is supposed to protect him and make him immortal. But of course, because she's got his hand on his heel, it's not covered. And it becomes his weakest point. So the enemy just look for the heel and shoot and kill him by... In fact, a poison dart hits him in the heel. And that's the story that how he... So what's your Achilles heel? Because Satan, the enemy, is not polite. Oh, oh, you're having issues with the marriage. Well, let me give you a little bit of space then to work that out. No, he's just going to go right in there. Oh, marriage difficulties? I'm going at that if I can. He looks for the weakest spot. Especially when he sees that you haven't got your face shield up, then he just see, oh, look, look what I can see. Going to go straight for that Achilles heel. He's the ultimate kick you when you're down merchant. You're insecure about how others see you in the church, especially. He'll feed that paranoia, no problem. No one's talking to you. You can stand in the uh, coffee area, play a test. Satan, this is a great technique. Stand there, see if everyone comes up and talks to you. Of course, no one does because the enemy's thinking, don't go over. Reinforce your paranoia. No one speaks to me. No one cares. Stood here for 20 minutes. I'm leaving. He knew you were insecure. He just decided to feed it. Concerned that you're too old to be effective in the church. Let me send someone just to mock your testimony. Let me send someone in to look at their phone while you're sharing something. You get up to the front and once time you share and you look around there's a bunch of people like... On their phones. Feeding your... I'm not doing that again. I'm done with sharing my testimony with these people. You're too young to share the good news. Too inexperienced. Let me plant that in your mind. The ones that get up and share should have a lifetime of experience. How can you share at 17 about your life? You haven't had a life yet. Rubbish. He whispers, you don't know enough scripture to tell people about Jesus. You're justified in never forgiving that person who was so unkind. Stay mad, stay bitter. By the way, if you do that, you're a hypocrite. Don't take wine during communion, you fake Christian while you hang on to bitterness. God's not answering your prayers. Because you're a rubbish prayer. You don't do it right. And the worst one of all, God has left you. You don't fear him because he's left you. 
You don't get him. Everyone else is getting him, but not you. You're the one that's, you're the one that's not getting him. So we, ah, oh, change churches. That might solve it. I, in fact, I'll stop going at all. I can get it all online. Every arrow, every fire arrow is a way to choke the gospel out of us. Stop us sharing. Stop us witnessing. Stop us standing. Stop us queuing up to share on a Sunday morning. Stop you prophesying in church or in settings. Bringing a tongue. Thank you, Gareth. Bringing a tongue. When you know you could and you should, but I don't, I don't, don't want to anymore. Get your shield up. Get your shield up. Sorry to say you're, but you know, get your shield up. Soak it in the spirit and extinguish lies. Recognize them for what they are. They are lies that you are perfectly, beautifully, fearfully and wonderfully made. You're full of the power of Christ. Every gift has been laid out before you and at your disposal. I'm going to have to speed up now. Told you I'd overrun. Those lies are trying to make you ineffective and stop the gospel advancing. Massively delay us while people suffer. And I've watched over the past years, this year in particular, the past 12 months, Satan fire a dart at the very vulnerability of people. And the tragedy is that it's come as such a shock to them and to me that it's happened. Because I didn't read this and understand that I was being told, don't be surprised, this is actually what's going to happen. But don't worry, we have the armour. It came as a shock. And that's why I said this is a shock warning. Paul's trying to say, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. It's very real. But don't think it's like because God suddenly turned his back on you. That's what I told you was going to happen. So I get mystified, I'm including me, that it's such a shock to me. What's happening to your faith? What's going on? Or faith being rocked, or people talk, my life is in chaos, my marriage, my walk, my career. I'm thinking, why am I shocked? It tells me that's what's going to happen. I need to apply the armour and help you put it on. Paul is trying to tell us it's this critically important message. Don't be shocked. And if you get shot because your armour was down, Jesus Christ is going to heal you, going to put you right. But once he's done that, and I believe that, if you're saying it hurts so bad, let Jesus heal you. Let us pray for you and get that wound sealed up. But afterwards, will you get your armour up? Get your sh- Don't go, oh, thank the Lord, you've healed me. Good. Oh, not again. Well, no, I've got to direct you towards the shield. I've got to direct you towards that. That's my job. Pray, study, commune with God. Increase your grip on truth, faith, the gospel, your righteousness and salvation through prayer and the word. I can't put your armour on for you every day. I need to be putting my own on. It's a struggle for me some days. So before we close, let me end with this description that the armour at the end of it has a call to prayer. It says at the end, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I'm aware that many in this church and others and some that are not in this church that are friends of mine are going through a difficult time. They feel like they're taking a beating. Some are not here because of that very reason. I will not stop praying for you. I will not lose faith in God for you, and neither should you. Keep praying, no matter what's going on in faith. Tonight at 7 o'clock at my house, it's a sunny day, you might want to be hanging down the park, why don't you just kick an hour out, come down to our house, and we will pray for those that are struggling. If you're feeling strong in this, hallelujah, and I feel strong in this night now, not to boast, but I feel quite good in my armour, I want to be praying for those that can't get their chin straps on, as was brought at one of our prayer meetings at my house. People can't get it on, Andy. Us need to be like medics sometimes in the field, holding up a shield while we say, can we help you with that? Because I love you, I need to help you. 
Not, oh, get your armour on, you fool. No, I want to help, and I'm going to help through prayer. I want to help, literally, I'm going to help through prayer. We will not stop praying for them. We will pray again and again and again. So whether you can make it tonight or not, please pray. But please try and make it tonight because I know what it's like. But if you say one hour, just let's do it, then we will do it. Prayers are like long-range weapons, javelins. There was no description of that. They're javelins they can fire across. Church, I want to end with this. Do not be afraid, but do not be ignorant. Paul is trying to say, that's why he says, in God's might, you go into this battle. Do not be fearful, but please, please, do not be ignorant. We have the ultimate victory assured. We are going to be in heaven one day with God. He's a good father who says, listen, I can't say there's no battle. But I'll tell what, here's the best present I can give you in this life. Once you've received Jesus and the Spirit, how about a suit of armour? That's really, 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 really good. Let me pray.